are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to Hump Day, by week Hump Day. It is October 21st, 2020. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, and this is the fourth time we're talking. Because yesterday, we dropped power to the pod, as we normally do, and then shortly thereafter, ESPN reporter Adam Schefter dropped the bombshell of all bombshells. The Miami Dolphins are switching starting quarterbacks. Tua Tungvaloa is now the starter. We are going to continue to talk about the fallout from that as we started in yesterday's abbreviated emergency pod. But not before I remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Pepsi is a refreshment you need to power through any game day, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi. Made for football watching. And we watched the football world collectively melt down and lose their GD minds yesterday. When the news came out that the Miami Dolphins were electing during their bye week this week to install Tua Tungvaloa as the starting quarterback. So I, of course, want to put a bow on the Jets game. But with this news, this is going to take precedent. We have no game this week. We got a little bit of wiggle room as far as concepts we can talk about. This takes precedent because there's so much here to unpack from the questions that have been called in into light about the Dolphins' offensive line, from some bigger names in media, like ESPN's Dan Orlovsky and Mina Kimes and uh, Jeff Schwartz uh, from Fox got involved on it a little bit. I don't want to be completely fair to all of those people because the questions they ask are reasonable questions to ask. And uh, I don't necessarily disagree with them from the perspective that if you're looking to install a rookie quarterback behind an offensive line, you'd ideally like one that is a little more established and consistent than what we get on a week-to-week basis from so many of the Dolphins' young players. Now, the three rookies, extremely promising, and they have flashes that are really, really bright. And Eric Flowers... Uh, I believe I said this yesterday on the pod. He's trending towards being the Dolphins' third best offensive lineman or fourth best offensive lineman, which is where he should be. He's trending in that direction. And that's not because he's playing any worse than he was before, but because the young rookies have the opportunity to surpass him. But the Dolphins' offensive line is, generally speaking, still not good. I think they're adequate in pass protection. I think they need to get more improved in the run game than the pass game. Because, you know, Dan Orlovsky's whole point was Fitzpatrick gets the ball out really, really quick. And as a result of that, a lot of pressures are masked because of the snap to release. That is a factual statement. There is no arguing that. We've talked about that on the show a number of times, including talking about how, before the season even started, because of the style of the passing offense that Chan Gailey has in place here, 
it helped me become less apprehensive about the idea of Tua Tungabaloa playing early. And that's where we're at. And while Dan's concern is installing Tua behind this offensive line, he's not going to get the ball out as quick, I'm not as concerned as Dan is about that because conceptually speaking, I think the Dolphins are going to continue to do a lot of the same things, spacing the field. They're going to make identifying pressures fairly straightforward because of how they stretch you out. Defenders are going to cheat. Tua has a special awareness about all that kind of stuff. It's one of the things that he was really applauded about at Alabama. I think you'll continue to see more RPO concepts. I don't want to put the car before the horse and do the whole show here in the lead-in. I think they'll do. They'll make some changes to the structure of the offense that play to Tua's strengths and keep things simple. But that was the whole reason why the Dolphins changed from Chad O'Shea to Chan Gailey in the first place, was to make it more simple so you could play faster. Yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick has five years of starting experience in Chan Gailey's offense. But Tua Tungvaloa in 2019 had an, a faster average snap to release than what Ryan Fitzpatrick has had through six games this season. So because you, you take all those variables in play, Dan has a reasonable question to ask. Hey, putting a rookie line, putting a rookie quarterback behind this line, does it open the door? I don't agree with Dan's assessment that it becomes a problem because of Tua's track record in 2019, because of the style of the offense, and because I think they're going to make changes that are going to be more one-read, literally just RPO, you to death. It's kind of how I expect things to go from here. Of the injuries that Tungavaloa suffered at Alabama, a number of them were on extended plays. There is an awareness there with Tungavaloa. He has acknowledged he understands he has to take the checkdowns, he has to get the ball out of his hands. He cannot take the unnecessary hits trying to make too much happen. That will be the tightrope that Tungavalo and the Dolphins hope to walk in getting more consistent chunk plays from the offense moving forward. Now, Brian Flores, he spoke with the media, and he played this one fairly close to the best, which you expected that he would. He said, we feel like this is the best decision for the team moving forward. But he did confirm Tangavaloa is the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins at this point in time moving forward. I think perhaps the most fascinating dynamic here is weighing out the pre-snap versus the post-snap ceiling and floor of both players, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua Tangavaloa. Because here's the thing, Ryan Fitzpatrick Travis Wingfield, former host of this show, pointed out Mike Gusecki in in training camp was experiencing Fitzpatrick identifying motions while Gusecki, or identifying coverages while Gusecki is going in motion across the set and telling him he's going to be the read because of what the coverage is. And sure enough, Fitzpatrick throws in the ball. That pre-snap identification ability is one of Ryan Fitzpatrick's best skills. But, as we've talked about over the course of the past couple weeks, the Dolphins have seen Ryan Fitzpatrick get trapped when when teams change the picture on him from the pre-snap shell to the post-snap rotation. When he doesn't get what he's expecting pre-snap, 
The ball still gets out quick, but the ball does not go to the right places. Think about the Seattle game. The interceptions he should have thrown in that game. Think about the Jets game in the second half. He had the third uh, third down deep curl to Devontae Parker. That was undercut and should have been intercepted. He had the crosser to Mike Gusecki in the red zone that should have been intercepted because it hit a dude right in the hands. Those are examples of Ryan Fitzpatrick, who has the second highest number of turnover-worthy plays in the NFL through six games with 11. Carson Wentz is first with 17. 11 turnover-worthy plays. Now, granted, some of the turnovers he has had were bad bounces of the ball. In the grand scheme of things, it about evens itself out. But that's like the ceiling and the floor with Fitz. If he's right in the pre-snap, he's going to dice you. He's going to kill you. But if he's wrong in the pre-snap, he's not going to change his mind. He's not going to make the read. And he's going to throw the ball where he thinks it's supposed to go based on what he saw, even at the risk of ball security. Now, you take that and you pair that with Tua Tagovailoa. Tua does not have 16 years of experience at the NFL level. Identifying coverages will be something he is not as proficient at. But look about the things that take place after the snap. He's a greater physical talent with his feet and his foot quickness and his footwork. That footwork and his base yields more consistent throwing power and velocity on his throws, and subsequently better accuracy. He's a more accurate passer than Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't need to see him throw at the NFL level to know that. He is a rapid decision maker in the RPO game. Again, a general manager told Daniel Jeremiah in the spring, Tua Tagovailoa was the greatest RPO quarterback prospect he's ever seen. Ryan Fitzpatrick was not very proficient at running RPOs in 2020. The Dolphins did not run a lot of them. And I think that's where the ceiling for Tua surpasses the floor for Fitz. And the ceiling for Fitz. What Tua is capable of make happen after the snap will yield... More receivers being hit in stride, and hence a greater opportunity for a run after the catch. More opportunities to avoid turnover-worthy plays, because say what you will about Tongvalo, he got trapped a handful of times in two years as the starter, full-time starter at Alabama. With A lot of times it was deep safety and linebacker underneath. You think of two of the interceptions that he threw. He threw an interception against Georgia in the SEC championship game. In 2018, when he just did not see safety rotation at all. I believe believe it was Richard LeCount who came over from the opposite zone and undercut a, a post that was breaking into the middle of the field. End of the first half against LSU in 2019, throws an interception to Patrick Queen on what was really a brilliantly played zone drop underneath by Patrick Queen. Uh, to take away a crossing pattern. But he feasibly shouldn't have been there. But he was. It was a great play. One of his other interceptions was an extended play 
uh, tried to lollipop one up over the top against Tennessee, I believe, in 2019. And it was just like one of those silly plays that like, okay, you're trying to do too much. But how many examples of the RPO game, the quick game, the screen game, intermediate and deeper passing, all levels of the field, precision accuracy, that ceiling, I think, surpasses not being as consistent with nailing down the coverage in the pre-snap. Because when Fitz is wrong in the pre-snap, he either kills you or he almost kills you. When two is wrong in the pre-snap, he still at least has the physical upside to unlock more big plays. And when he's right in the pre-snap, he's really going to kill you. So that's the dilemma for the Dolphins. Now, what is the Dolphins' offense really going to look like? The analogy that I made over on uh, the Draft Dudes podcast I had with Joe Marino, we talked about this effectively the entire show because Joe uh, is a Buffalo Bills fan. Don't be too hard on him. And he experienced this a couple years ago with Josh Allen. He experienced a rookie quarterback being installed. And he asked me, you know, what I thought the def- what the what I thought the offense was going to look like. And for me, I expect a significantly different set of core plays. The principles will be the same. Space the field horizontal. We're, we're going to run inside zone. Let our backs cut off it. But when you watch the Dolphins in the running game for the first six weeks of the season, the, the dilemma has been a lot of times because the Dolphins stretch the field, opposing defenses kind of go halfsies. And when they cheat inside or they got run keys or it's rundowns, they get the these defenders, that extra defender sticking his nose in the box. And there's more defenders present than the Dolphins have blockers because the Dolphins are trying to space the field horizontally. They're running into a seven-man, six- or seven-man box with five blockers of surface area. And we've talked about you know inserting tight ends and motioning wide receivers in and, and how you can try and get an extra gap that way, right? the Wildcat and and having uh, an extra potential blocker or whoever doesn't take the ball out of the Wildcat is occupying a defender because his motion is going to pull them away from where the ball is actually going to go. All of those concessions to kind of create a numbers advantage in the box. The RPO is one of the best possible ways to kill that because when a team rolls the safety down off the weak side and they go four weak, which means there's four defenders in the box to the weak side of the set. And you've got your outnumbered on that side. The fastest way to get them out of that look is to mesh point, make them think it's run, and when they step up, hammer slants behind them and pull the ball out and throw it. That, the RPO, what Tua Dungvaloa does best. The analogy I made was when the Baltimore Ravens made the switch from Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson. The offense that they chose to run was dramatically different. I don't think... Now, the principles were the same. We're going to punch in the mouth up front. 
But because we have a mobile quarterback, we have an extra blocker, we're going to use QB run. Well, the Dolphins are going to use QB run. Same core principles, space the field, dramatically different core set of plays, RPOs. I think they're going to change the identity of this team. I think that's what the past six weeks have been so important for for the Dolphins. This is speculation on my part. I don't have this answer. But to have six weeks to get to a comfortable with the core principles of the offense and to get the rest of the team to a point where, hey, everybody else is stable. Ryan Fitzpatrick's the steadying hand because he's played in this offense before. Well, now everybody's played in this offense before. So now you're not so dependent on Ryan Fitzpatrick being the steady hand that you can now come out and say, okay, we're going to make this change to a more dynamic quarterback. All the core principles are the same. You guys apply all the same things you've been working on in the past two months. We're going to run a little different concepts with the same core principles. And Tua, you're comfortable with what our core principles are on offense. But we're going to let you cook by doing what you do best, just like John Harbaugh did with Lamar Jackson. By changing the offense. Well, now we're going to get a 10-game sample size of what this tailor-made offense is going to look like for Tua Tungvaloa. And I get why there's apprehension, and I get why there's questions, and I get the questioning of the timing. There's also questioning of the timing on why the Dolphins would let both def- defensive and offensive coordinators walk in the offseason. Brian Flores knows this team better than anybody because it's his job to, and he is around it on a daily basis. So if he deems Tangavaloa, and he mentioned everything from walkthroughs to practice to the film sessions to how he handles himself on game days, his physical performance, all those things were variables at play to make this decision in addition to evaluating the rest of the team, the rest of the offense. A team that is 22nd in the NFL in third down conversion rate. A team that is 23rd in the NFL in touchdown conversion rate in the red zone. 11 turnover-worthy plays, which is the second highest of any quarterback in the NFL through six games. Add all these things up. He sees what Tua looks like behind the scenes. He has shown, based on his 22-game sample size, that he has as good of a vibe of anyone as he should. But he makes the best decisions possible for the best interests of all involved. And the change from O'Shea Changeli was made with this in mind so that a young quarterback could come in and have it be more simple. So that the ball can get out of his fans fast. So you can continue to mask some of the greenness and and inexperience of an offensive line that has potentially three rookie starters on it when Austin Jackson comes back. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And these things, believe me, are delicious. Built completely overhauled their formula for creating the Built Bar. And the end result is magnificent. So whether you're looking for a healthy snack throughout the course of the day, low-calorie snack, a meal replacement, something for post-workout, you're looking for something that fits the keto diet. Built Bars have under 200 calories per bar, up to 20 grams of protein per bar, one-seventh of the grams of carbs and sugar of your typical protein bar. They taste delicious, and oh yeah, by the way, they come in up to 18 different delicious flavors. My favorite new flavor is the cookies and cream. 
of the 12 original flavors, they still have raspberry, mint brownie. They have something for everyone. So because they overhauled their formula, Built Bar has reset the opportunity for you to save money. So go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. A healthy life includes a healthy sex life, but if you struggle with erectile dysfunction, you may not feel like your best self. If you want help with ED, Roaming connects you with a real U.S. licensed healthcare professional who can prescribe the medicine that you need. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. Healthcare professionals will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship you real medicine with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOn and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to talk about, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOn, and you'll save up to $50 off your first month of ED treatment. GetRoman.com slash LockedOn. I will leave you all today with some non-Tuatungavailoa news for the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins held tryouts yesterday for three defensive linemen amid some of the injuries that they have on the defensive line. The three players that were brought in we have Javier Edwards, Miles Brown, and Dalen Mack. If you're not a draft Nick or unfamiliar with these guys, here's what you need to know about these guys. They average approximately 325 pounds apiece. The lightest one of the bunch is 320 pounds. Dalen Mack's almost 340. Big dudes, A-gap defenders, potential nose tackles, Obviously, this is the follow-up on the Devon Gottschow injury. The team reportedly, according to Tom Pelissero of NFL.com, tried to swipe Damon Snacks Harrison off the Seattle practice squad, uh, but he declined, so screw him, right? You don't come to Miami? You'd rather go sit up there in cold, rainy Seattle? I get it. Seattle's a good football team this year. But so might Miami, to be honest with you. I guess we'll find out. But... Um, if the Dolphins were going to sign one of these three, I personally would advocate for Dalen Mack. I thought he was—he's uh, a former high-profile recruit, played at Texas A&M. Uh, kind of turned the light on for him his final year at college, but bowling ball style guy, kind of a higher ceiling than Benito Jones. Benito played eight snaps, which is about what you'd expect, uh, knowing that that Raquan Davis and Zach Sealer took most of those snaps from Devon Gotchow's plate, and, and Benito took the leftovers, which was ended up being eight snaps. Um, the word on Raekwon Davis, who left the week six win over the Jets with a shoulder injury, uh, it sounds promising based on what Brian Flores had to say during his Wednesday press availability. He was asked one non-Tua question, courtesy of Barry Jackson of the Herald, and, and was asked about the defensive tackles and if Raekwon's healthy. And, and Brian made it sound as though he's rehabbing, but they're encouraged that he's not going to miss any significant amount of time. So, uh, hopefully this is just a depth for move or kind of comparing and contrasting what they have versus Benito Jones. It's kind of hard to blow a team out of the water when you only get eight snaps to do it as a nose tackle, but um, something to keep an eye on as the Dolphins get ready to potentially make a personnel move uh, to lock in an upgrade 
over Benito Jones if they decide one is necessary or if that role is just going to be so minimal uh, and Raekwon Davis is going to be back. So something to keep an eye on. We will talk plenty more uh, about the Dolphins and the fallout from this decision as we get more information, as I get a chance to do some more research, go back over my draft profile on Tua Tagovailoa, uh, go back over some Alabama All-22, compare it to the Dolphins All-22. Uh, we could talk about how this team gets better in the red zone with Tua, potentially. We could talk about what some of the, the staple plays are that the Dolphins have already kind of teased that we should see a lot more of. So lots to look forward to. So hit subscribe on the podcast. Take this trip with us here on Locked On Dolphins. Keep it locked in right here on Locked On. Thanks as always for listening, and I hope to talk to you guys again tomorrow.